This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium, good friends. And for those of you south of the 49th experiencing some unseasonably, unseasonably cold weather these days, I, I apologize on behalf of all Canadians for the polar vortex. That's a Canadian for you, right? Apologizing for everything, including the weather. Uh, I don't know why we do that, but that's just the way we are. Uh, Before we unfurl the flag tonight, uh, just a couple of programming notes. I'll be away for the next two weeks stomping around the American Northwest, not really at liberty to tell you what I'm doing there. Uh, And uh, that'll all be revealed in good time, my friends. Uh, So next week, my good friend, Patrick White the founder of Conspiracy Culture, a pretty fine bookstore in Toronto. Uh, Patrick White will be in this chair delivering the goods. And uh, as I say, Patrick is a purveyor of fine books and DVDs at uh, the very popular bookstore Conspiracy Culture. He's a very thoughtful, uh, passionate, knowledgeable, engaging young man. So you are in very good hands. Uh, He'll be joined uh, by Joseph Farrell, to talk about one of my favorite topics. I'm kind of sorry I'm missing this one. Uh, it's, uh, it's all about the transhumanist movement. People like uh, Ray Kurzweil and, and, and some billionaire media magnet from Russia uh, are teaming up, hoping to achieve, hoping to achieve something, uh, well, nothing less than immortality, really, by the year 2045. That's the goal, immortality by 2045. Uh, the following week... Victor Vigiani will be guest hosting. Victor, of course, no stranger to the program, long-time UFO disclosure advocate, the executive director of Zealand News Network, and he'll be here with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, among other guests. And one more note. You know, in the radio business, it's sort of an unwritten rule that you don't promote the competition. Uh, but what you do when the competition invites you over for a night? So with that said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy to announce... Uh, I'll be sitting in for George Norrie on Friday, Jan 31st, uh, into Saturday morning on Coast to Coast. And uh, I hope you can listen in for a night of open lines. Uh, in truth, uh, I really don't see Coast to Coast as, as the competition. Uh, I, as I said, we're working towards a common end here, and that's uh, to wake people up, encourage people to think for themselves, and, and challenge conventional wisdom. 
And many of the people I've had on this show, you've probably heard on Coast to Coast, and I know of many of you who listen to this show also listen to Coast. So uh, very thrilled uh, once again. It's been about five years since I sat in on uh, and guest hosted the program. So looking forward to that, and I hope you can join me. So that's where you'll find me uh, next Friday night. Just a reminder that the website is back up, richardserrett.com. Don't forget to register and subscribe to a new weekly newsletter, as yet unnamed, that I'll be rolling out. And I've set a goal of 500 subscribers before I start uh, publication. So get on and register. Again, richardserrett.com. You'll also notice on the homepage beneath the This Week on the Show section is a featured book or DVD of the week. And this week's book happens to provide the framework for the next hour's conversation. The book is called Hunting Hitler. New Scientific Evidence That Hitler Escaped Nazi Germany. Wow, talk about challenging conventional wisdom. In 2009, three U.S. professors with access to Adolf Hitler's alleged remains startled the world with scientific DNA proof that the skull and bones that Russia had claimed since the end of World War II were Hitler's actually belonged to a middle-aged woman whose identity remains unknown. This announcement has rekindled interest in the claim made by Joseph Stalin who maintained at the end of his life that Hitler got away. And the truth is that no one saw Hitler and Eva Braun die in the bunker in Berlin on April 30th, 1945. No photographs were taken to document claims. Hitler and Eva Braun committed suicide. Hitler's body was never recovered. No definitive physical evidence exists proving Hitler died in the bunker in Berlin. And the author of Hunting Hitler joins me now on The Conspiracy Show. Dr. Jerome Corsi explores the historical possibility Hitler escaped Nazi Germany at the end of World War II. Jerome, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show, my friend. How are you? I'm good, Richard. Good to be back with you. Thank you. And uh, congratulations. You know, uh, I, I, I know that what I'm about to ask may sound, uh, I don't know, bizarre, but, uh, you know, I, I genuinely believe there are people out there who think this way, and so I have to ask the question. Some people out there are thinking, this happened almost 70 years ago. Why do we care? Why are we writing about it? Well, the, the key issue is that this is, um, uh, I got interested because this is how intelligence agencies create disinformation. And it's a classic case of um, a cover-up by the U.S. government that um, the deep secrets on Hitler's death that the uh, U.S. intelligence agencies knew the American people couldn't handle, so they you know, determined to commit a huge crime. Uh, the intelligence agencies decided to lie, and disinformation was created. This, disinformation was that Hitler and Eva Braun killed themselves in the dual suicide in the uh, Fuhrer bunker in Berlin at the end of World War II. That's all a lie. So it's not a old story. It's, you know, basically, um, when you uncover what the lie is, you're going to uncover how much of the, you know, Nazis became what was the World War II aftermath, the Cold War, and the emergence from World War II, which was engineered by U.S. intelligence um, to produce who we are today. And uh, explain why the U.S. intelligence agencies, and I guess at the time it would have been the the OSS and then later uh, the CIA, why would they have gone along with this charade? Because we helped Hitler escape. 
That's the that's the dirty secret at the heart of this. Hitler escaped because Alan Dulles, uh, who headed the OSS in Bern, Switzerland, engineered it. But I'd like to get there with people having enough time to absorb how this is credible, uh, because that's the deep secret we're going to reveal tonight. Yes, I mean this is <laughs> this is the uh, the bombshell that that you drop in the book. So uh, let's get into that. Indeed, let me just remind listeners: Jerome Corsi is uh, my guest and uh, the author of Hunting Hitler: New Scientific Evidence That Hitler Escaped Nazi Germany. Now, uh, Jerome, uh, let's let's just back up before we get into, I guess, the uh, the reasons why. Uh, if I could just talk a little bit about. Uh, you know the remains uh, that the, the Soviet Union, uh, you know, had for for so many years, and 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 believed or, or let, helped you know lead lead the world to believe that 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 Hitler had committed suicide. And as you say, Stalin contended to the end of his days that it was not uh, Hitler. Uh, did did President Truman not also state publicly on on more than one occasion he didn't believe Hitler had died? Well, not so much Truman. I think Eisenhower at least one time. I I said it in the book. Eisenhower, uh, at the end of World War II, gave a statement to um, a Dutch newsman. It was printed in Stars and Stripes, which was the uh, army newspaper at the time, that um, he had reason to believe that Hitler was still alive. It was a pretty startling statement for 1945. And it was really uh, Jimmy Burns, who was the Secretary of State for Truman at the Potsdam Conference, that Stalin told... Uh, he believed, Stalin believed, that Hitler had survived, despite Russia producing all this evidence that Hitler committed suicide. And um, Stalin told Jimmy Burns that he thought the United States helped Hitler escape. That was the, um, Stalin was aware of what happened. And so, you know, the U.S. government was fully aware that Hitler escaped from the very time it happened. But I, you know, I, I think the key, the story begins really, I started in it in 2009. There was a History Channel special on Hitler's escape, and it showed this uh, Dr. Nicholas Bellatoni, who was the uh, state archaeologist in Connecticut, and he uh, was given one hour to look at the Hitler's skull fragments in uh, Moscow. He um, got access to the Russian Federation State Archive collection and building where they had the Hitler skull, the skull that Russia had kept since the end of World War II is proof that Hitler died at the end of World War II. And Bellatoni took samples from the skull. You can see it in the, um, in the video. He brought them back to the Connecticut Center for Applied Genetics and Technology at, you know, in, in Connecticut. A molecular biologist who ran the center ran DNA testing, and the skull, the Hitler skull, that Russia had since the end of World War II was found to be the skull of a 40-year-old woman. Uh, clearly not Hitler, uh, not Eva Braun, because Eva Braun was 33 years old, and the Russian autopsy supposedly showed that this Eva Braun corpse had died from cyanide poisoning, but the skull that was the Hitler skull clearly had bullet holes in it, but it was a 40-year-old woman. So, so clearly the Russians picked up some skull uh, outside the Hitler you know, bunker, in Berlin before the Russians or after the Russians took over the, the bunker in April 1945 and brought this skull back to Russia and said, this is Hitler, but it's all fraudulent evidence. 
And that's pretty shocking. I'll say. But one has to ask, you know, why did it take to 2009 for them to conduct you know, a, a pretty straightforward test on a skull to make that determination, Jerry? Well, because the, the Russians had never allowed the skull to be really examined. Uh, increasingly, over time, the Russians have let more and more information out of the archives. They've, you know, um, allowed books to be published in Great Britain on the autopsies of Hitler and Eva Braun, which have raised dramatic questions that I examine in, in the book Hitler, Hunting Hitler. But the point was that finally by 2009, when a scientist got access to the Hitler skull, did DNA testing, it was clear that this was a fraudulent deal. The, the Russians had no definitive proof, no physical evidence that Hitler died. But yet the skull had been presented fraudulently to the world as if it were proof. And that was pretty shocking because, it, you know, I began saying, okay, as I watched that documentary and studied it, said, uh, okay, if Hitler did not die, there's no definitive proof that Hitler died in the Fuhrer bunker, then what happened? What are the lies? What happened to Hitler? How did he escape? And that's what really began my investigations. Uh, the other question that comes immediately to mind, uh, Jerry, is, you know, think of it, this information that, that, that Stalin, he suspected it, but uh, the height of the Cold War, if he, if he knew this, that's pretty damning evidence to, to embarrass and undermine the United States. Why didn't, why didn't uh, Stalin uh, pursue that further? Stalin was in a real bind. I mean, first of all, at the end of World War II, you're, you're dealing with Adolf Hitler, who is the, you know, one of the greatest mass murderers, criminals in history. Um, started World War II, 60 million people, minimum, died as a result of Hitler's starting World War II. The Holocaust, the attempt to do genocidal murder on Jews in Europe. And if, if um, Stalin had to admit that Hitler got away, it would be a huge embarrassment to, and difficulty for the Russian regime when, you know, tens of millions of Russians were killed by the Nazis. Nobody wanted to admit Hitler got away. Everybody wanted Hitler to come to some kind of justice. And if he had, if Hitler had committed suicide in the bunker, he was dead. That was acceptable as justice. If Hitler had been allowed to get away, um, the peoples of Russia and peoples of the world would not have accepted that. All right, uh, we'll uh, take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll find out why U.S. intelligence agents in Europe, including the OSS, and Alan Dulles, who later, who later headed the CIA under President Eisenhower, helped Hitler escape, as they did with so many other Nazis. Jerome Corsi, my guest, the author of Hunting Hitler, new scientific evidence that Hitler escaped Nazi Germany. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back. Uh, for years, the, the idea that Hitler escaped... Nazi Germany uh, and uh, lived out his life, according to various accounts, places like Spain or perhaps uh, South America. I mean, that was that was the fodder for for, uh, you know, the grocery store tabloids like the weekly world news. Uh, But now it now seems as if we're getting irrefutable proof. That at least Hitler did not commit suicide and that the Soviets did not have possession of his remains based on. A testing by a Connecticut state archaeologist who was allowed by the R- Russian Federation State Archive in Moscow to examine skull fragments the Russians have claimed for decades are proof Hitler committed suicide. And now we're finding out that's not Hitler's. Those are not Hitler's remains. 
So what happened to Hitler and Eva Braun? This is the subject of Jerome Corsi's new book, Hunting Hitler, New Scientific Evidence that Hitler Escaped Nazi Germany. And of course, uh, Jerome Corsi, uh, no stranger to this program, Harvard PhD, a senior staff reporter with WorldNet Daily. And he's authored many books, including the number one New York Times bestsellers, The Obama Nation and Unfit for Command and Who Really Killed Kennedy? And his latest book, as I say, Hunting Hitler. All right. Uh, so let's go back to the, uh, the OSS, uh, the precursor to the CIA, and uh, why exactly they would have been a part of this, well, you know, the greatest hoaxes in, in, uh, in history, perhaps. Well, Richard, the um, OSS in, was headed in Bern, Switzerland, by Alan Dulles during World War II. Alan Dulles, of course, was later the head of the CIA in 1953 under Eisenhower. His brother was John Foster Dulles, who was Secretary of State under Eisenhower. Um, John Foster Dulles is the person whom the Dulles Airport in Washington is named after. Well, the Dulleses, before World War II, working with uh, Brown Brothers Harriman, Abraham Harriman's family Wall Street firm, and Cromwell and Sullivan, a New York law firm, uh, had helped Hitler. They funded Hitler in the 1930s, rise to power. It's one of the um, dirty, dark secrets of American Wall Street politics. And their compatriots in doing this, by the way, were the uh, Bush family progenitors, Prescott Bush and George Herbert Walker, who were running, along with the Dulleses, a Nazi bank, Union Bank, in, in New York until 1941, after, World, after Pearl Harbor, when FDR closed down the bank. But that's where the um, Dulleses began. They were Hitler supporters from the beginning. Now, in 1943, when... Dulles, Alan Dulles, was in Bern, Switzerland, heading the OSS. Uh, Bormann, uh, uh, Martin Bormann, who was number two to Hitler, Hitler's secretary, and um, Himmler, also very close to Hitler, uh, realized that Germany may lose the war. So there was a plan concocted by Bormann called Aktion Adlerflug, which was action eagle flight, and what uh, Bormann decided to do was to uh, take the, the Nazi loot, billions of dollars, ill-gotten gain, uh, bullion stolen from uh, the countries that the Germans took, you know, conquered, uh, gold from the teeth of the Jews, killed the concentration camps. And Alan Dulles, um, OSS, had in Bern, Switzerland, worked with Bormann and invested the Nazi ill-gotten loot criminally obtained um, in the U.S. stock market, uh, in, in Argentina, other countries, uh, Portugal, Spain, Sweden, Turkey. Uh, basically, uh, Bormann created some 980 front companies outside Germany, um, plus 770 in neutral countries, uh, including 98 in Argentina alone, many in the United States, where Bormann and the Nazis owned major portions of these companies to fund not only their escape, but also their um, rise to power uh, with a united Europe and 
U.S. corporations working with German corporations to fuel the post-war world war. And Jerry, uh, if I could just interject for a moment, and, and for those people out there who are, uh, you know, slapping their head and saying this can't be, uh, you know, need we remind them that Prescott Bush was charged uh, under the Trading with the Enemy Act. That's correct. And was and and and, and this part I, I I have heard, and and you can disavow me of this if it's not true, but I have heard that as part of that sentencing, uh, Prescott Bush was supposedly he and his family were supposedly forbidden from holding public office, and yet we had presidents forty one and forty three. Is that true? Uh, and yes, and also Prescott Bush ran for office. He was elected to Congress from Connecticut. So I mean, the it was all wink wink, because the. Um, before World War II, it was widely understood by the FDR government, the FDR administration, that we were the rise of Hitler. Wall Street funded Hitler. And as World War II was still in progress, 1943, we're just now invading North Africa with Operation Torch. I mean, there's a lot of war to occur. There's a lot of Americans going to lose their lives. Um, you have Borman with Alan Dulles setting up major money center bank accounts, working with National Citibank, which is now Citibank, Chase, which is now J.P. Morgan Chase, manufacturers Hanover in New York to establish bank accounts for the Nazis. Uh, you had German U-boats starting to arrive in Buenos Aires at the rate of six to eight a week and intervals all through um, 1943 and 1944, carrying gold bullion, our treasures that um, you know, Hitler had stolen from the Jews and others in Europe um, it, over $50 billion uh, in the gold alone transferred by Bormann to Buenos Aires in, you know, 1943 dollars, which is an enormous amount of money today. Uh, jewels, rare coinage, art treasures brought by the submarines to Argentina and the Nazis as part of the deal. Uh, Dulles the OSS agreed the Nazis would be allowed to escape, including Adolf Hitler. And what was the thinking that if they could uh, resettle Hitler in <clears throat> in some place like South America, Buenos Aires or, or Brazil later, uh, that they could resurrect this Fourth Reich? Well, you know, it's it's um, it's extremely interesting because you know, Richard, if you look at it, if um, you had offered Hitler that he could have control of the European Union with Germany, the German Central Bank controlling the Euro, um, arrangements with the United States with corporations in both countries and sister companies working together, transatlantic partnership which we're putting into place under President Obama, uh, ignoring U.S. sovereignty to even closer knit uh, a corporate state between Europe and, and the EU. Uh, plus an NSA and a CIA that could listen much better than the Gestapo to every conversation, every email in America. Hitler would have signed up in a day. He said, this is my deal. So in a sense, you know, what we've become, the world that was created, uh, the Nazis never quit. They transitioned from an attempt to conquer Europe uh, by war to, a comp to conquer Europe through the deceit that set in place the EU. Just a trade agreement, but ultimately it compromises sovereignty of all the European countries, and they're now all together 
under a European Union run by bureaucrats out of you know, uh, Brussels and, and Luxembourg, uh, with Germany controlling the EU central bank and the EU economy. So, you know, I think the the whole plan, the whole, you know, Deutschland über alles was never abandoned by the Nazis, despite the fact that they lost the military war. Those, And it wasn't that Dulles permitted a few Nazis to escape. We're talking about tens of thousands of Nazis. Uh, many of them who, who escaped the hangman's noose at Nuremberg... Uh, ended up, uh, you know, running the rocket program and so forth in the United States. There was a great line from, um, uh, I believe it was All the Right Stuff, uh, you know, which was a movie about the the space race. And uh, there's a conversation between some American astronauts, you know, debating, well, who's going to make it to the moon first, us or the the, the Ruskies? And the one astronaut says to the others, well, we're going to win because our Nazis are better than their Nazis. Well, and and in fact... If you you know take a hard look at Operation Paperclip, which Alan Dulles engineered and put into place, Operation Paperclip was designed to bring over thousands of Nazi scientists, engineers, technicians, and put them into U.S. business, including Werner von Braun. And Werner von Braun, you know, was the head of the V2 program, worked with the Gestapo, used Jewish slave labor to build the V2 rocket. We wink, wink, forgot all about that, and Werner von Braun ends up a huge hero, and he's running John Kennedy's uh, plan to put an American on the moon, created our first ballistic missiles carrying U.S. nuclear weapons, and we did this, you know, we even brought over the Nazi scientists who invented the Zyklon B that was used by I.G. Farben to produce the poison that killed the Jews in the concentration camp. And was that not developed in conjunction with Standard Oil? Well, Standard Oil was part of the deal, part of the deal of, of working with U.S. corporations, Standard Oil, the oil industry, and specifically funding the um, the synthetic oil industry of Germany, which the United States Standard Oil did. Henry Ford, uh, IBM, there weren't any, I, you know, ITT, the list goes on of the U.S. corporations in the 30s that knitted themselves together with uh, Nazi counterparts. And after the war, these, you know, Borman putting the investments back into the U.S. companies continued the relationship between Nazi Germany and U.S. corporations in the post-war era. That's the, you know, basically, Borman and Dulles, Alan Dulles and CIA, early CIA, I mean, working for the OSS in uh, Bern, Switzerland, put together all the arrangements with his Nazi loot, got surreptitiously taken out of Europe through financial agents in Switzerland, and invested in the U.S. stock market to all these U.S. corporations. This is a, so, a I got to ask you, Jerry, you know, as an American, and, and uh, I, I, I'm not sure how old you are, I'm, I'm guessing that you had, you know, uh, relatives, probably people close to you that fought in the Second World War. Of course, my father fought in the Second World War. Same with my dad. And I'm thinking, Mike, as, as this is, as you're starting to connect the dots and you realize, you know, that this this, to call it shameful is an incredible understatement. Oh, this is a treason. horror. This is a horror show. Right. How, does it, how does it make you feel as this as you well, begin I mean, to realize this is happening? It's disgusting because look, I mean, it's more than disgusting. It's it's it's. There's no terms to explain it because what the um, Dulles and Borman were doing, where they were taking um, 
Nazi-stolen loot from some of the greatest crimes ever committed in human history. Uh, robbing Jewish homes of art, robbing Jews of the gold in their teeth, uh, plundering the treasuries of the countries that Nazis invaded, taking their gold bullion. I mean, the crimes are horrendous. And yet, um, Wall Street, um, Alan Dulles, wink, wink, puts the money into U.S. corporations. It's all done surreptitiously with the aid of financial agents. Everybody makes money. It starts in 1943. We haven't even invaded D-Day yet. Half a million Americans were lost their lives in World War II. Exactly. And for what? Canadians. How many Canadians lost their lives in World War II? You know, and all based on the premise that we were fighting the evil of Nazi Germany, the evil of you know Imperial Japan, when in fact behind the scenes, Alan Dulles, the Dulles brothers, others including the Bush family, Wall Street were wink wink in partnership with the Nazis and preparing for the post World War, you know, forward Nazis to essentially escape and survive with their loot. Now it starts to make sense why, you know, the, the, the economic powerhouse of Germany at the time, IGB, IG Farben, was virtually left alone during the Allied bombing raids. You know, why was that left uh, to stand? Well, and, uh, you know, right, the... exactly. I mean, it was clearly strategic. And John McCloy, who was key in doing a lot of the planning of the, you know, uh, of the U.S. bombing raids, strategic bombing raids, not only refused to divert any bombing to... You know, bomb Auschwitz and trying to save some Jews by bombing the railroads going to Auschwitz or bombing the crematorium. Uh, John McCloy also ends up in the Warren Commission. And by, by the way, as when I wrote my book, Who Really Killed John Kennedy, I also put Alan Dulles at the center of the villains because John Kennedy figured this out and he would not fight the lying CIA wars in Cuba and Laos and in Vietnam. John Kennedy fired Alan Dulles and was going to break up the CIA into a thousand pieces, well, as well as destroy the Federal Reserve, which John Kennedy said, we don't need to preserve to print our money. And, and he was going to but, scale you know, down Vietnam, and, and one of the great beneficiaries of Vietnam, of course, was Bell Helicopter. And who was running Bell Helicopter? Walter Dornberger, another German uh, that was exfiltrated out of Nazi Germany. Back with more of my conversation with Jerry Corsi, hunting Hitler. Stay with us. What was it uh, Richard Condon said, the author of The Manchurian Candidate? Um, you know, when you, when you look at your sort of your worst fears and your worst suspicions, the truth is probably far worse. And it sounds like that's the case. We're discussing Jerome Corsi's new book, Hunting Hitler, New Scientific Evidence That Hitler Escaped Nazi Germany. And the evidence seems to be in that the, the remains uh, that have been in the, the hands of the, uh, the Russian Federation uh, for nearly 70 years are not those of Hitler. This has been established. DNA. Jury's in on this one, folks. So then the question is, what happened to the Fuhrer? So let's let's pick up the trail, uh, 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 Jerry, and, and April 30th, 1945, as, as best as you can piece together, what happened to Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun? Well, Richard, I mean, most of my research is based on documents. I mean, I went to the National Archives. It took me two years to find the file of U.S. military records at the end of World War II searching for Hitler. And it was shocking when I found them, finally. I mean, here's, I show you in the book, here's a letter from J. Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI, to the 
American Embassy in Buenos Aires. It's dated uh, November 13, 1945. Subject, Hitler hideout in Argentina. And J. Edgar Hoover knows exactly where Hitler is. He says, you know, he's telling the FBI agents in South America that this Mrs. Eichhorn, and the Eichhorns were two very uh, prominent industrialists. They had funded Hitler uh, during 1920s. They emigrated to Argentina. They owned this grand hotel in, you know, the German area of Argentina, La Falda, Argentina. And uh, Hitler says that, that the Eichhorns have made arrangements that are starting to build a, uh, a large estate for Hitler, and they had arranged for Hitler's escape to Argentina. And I found the documents that a um, that Hitler came to Germany in this U-boat 530 that arrived in Mar de Plata in Argentina on July 10, 1945. Uh, the uh, archives in Washington had even the newspaper from Argentina when the submarine arrived. And perhaps most startling, here was a uh, naval intelligence attaché uh, from Buenos Aires writing back to naval intelligence in Washington July 18, 1945 after the submarine surfaced saying that, you know, reports say that the submarine was sighted uh, by the Argentinian Navy about the middle of June, a month before it showed up and surrendered in Mar de Plata. It refueled and had offloaded VIPs along the shore in Buenos Aires um, and the submarine then made its way. Another submarine they reported was going to be arriving in Buenos Aires, which it did. Uh, the um, it was a, subsequent to this, another submarine showed up in Buenos Aires. Uh, and the last sentence of the report says, Eva Braun and Adolf Hitler were landed in the south of Argentina by this submarine. And so, you know, the U.S. Naval Intelligence, in addition to um, J. Edgar Hoover in Washington, knew that Hitler had arrived in this submarine to Argentina. It was completely covered up and lied by the American government, which chose to go with this cover story that had been fabricated for a historian, Trevor Roper, who wrote a book in 1947, a British graduate student in history, who wrote a book on Hitler's final days that told this soap opera story of Hitler and Eva Braun committing a dual suicide and the Pure bunker, and it never happened. We had documented evidence now in the archives uh, from the FBI and naval intelligence that knew in 1945 exactly how Hitler escaped. This is monumental. I mean, this is absolutely um, mind blowing. Now, let me ask you uh, because, as you mentioned in the book, uh, the the U boat, the U 530, after it drops Hitler and Eva Braun off in Argentina, it goes on to. Uh, uh, surrender at Mar del Plata. Mar, at Mar del Plata, yes. Now, so whatever happened to the sub-commander Otto Wormuth? I mean, did he ever uh, did he ever speak about the fact that Hitler was uh, was on well, board? Or We took him into custody and the crew into custody, and they all lied. See, um, the commander of this U-530, Baramuth, was only 25 years old. And what naval intelligence told Washington from Buenos Aires was that they had reason to believe that the real commanders of the boat had been offloaded. This was just, you know, one of the younger guys who got left to bring the boat into port and surrender it. 
the fall guy. Um, Listen, and I, I got to take a time out. The fall guy. We'll take a time out. Yeah, we'll come guy. back. Hot on the trail of Adolf Hitler with Jerry Corsi back with more of the conspiracy show. Stay with us. Now, there's a program that I, I, I like to think that um, you know we t- we try to aim for the aim for the head or the heart occasionally, but but once in a while we we. We hit you right in the gut, and I think that's what um, uh, we're doing tonight. Uh, Almost get this sort of deep-down, sickening feeling when you realize that what Jerry Corsi has pieced together in hunting Hitler, new scientific evidence that Hitler escaped Nazi Germany, sort of piecing together and, and, and connecting the dots for something that we've sort of suspected but never have been able to articulate something that's not right. We've known this deep down, I guess. And we think about, for example, the creation of someone like an Osama bin Laden and whether or not he, in fact, you know, died when we're told he died. All of these things now uh, are suspect. We have to question everything now. Jerry, uh, so Adolf Hitler lands in, uh, in, in Argentina with Eva Braun aboard a, a, a U-boat, a German U-boat, where does he go from there? Well, first he goes to the uh, with the Eichhorns up into La Falda, uh, north of Buenos Aires, to this German community, uh, the Eden Hotel, and has absconded away. I mean, his his appearance has been changed. They've done plastic surgery, and um, uh, they've built a resort. The Eichmanns have been since 1943 building a resort for Hitler uh, down in Patagonia in, in uh, Bariloche, uh, the very south of Argentina, near Chile in the Andes. It's a remote area. And uh, this resort is a huge resort. It's um, 6,000 square feet, a rustic resort, uh, 1,000 acres of land. You can only reach it by seaplane, so it's protected by dense forests on all sides. Uh, the look and the feel of the resort is very Bavarian. It looks like the um, uh, Ober-Altsburg retreat above the town of Berchtesgaden in the Bavarian Alps, where Hitler had his uh, great, you know, you know picture glass look out on the mountains retreat uh, during World War II. Hitler moved into this resort in uh, Bariloche in June 1947. And the reports in Argentina say he lived with Eva Braun until 1965. 1965, which would have made him how old? Uh, close to 80. 80 years old. And died uh, of what? Do we know? Natural death, old age, uh, buried or remains, you know, probably cremated and the remains gone. I mean, no, no visible burial site. But, you know, in Argentina, this I, you know, my wife is Argentinian, I speak Spanish, I've been working on this for years now, and um, the in Argentina, there's two recent books, a couple of great authors, um, one of them Italian, uh, who have written books on Hitler escaping to Argentina, working in the Argentinian archives, and <clears throat> there's even been a DVD done showing Hitler's escape of a video showing people who knew Hitler, worked with Hitler, pictures of Hitler. I mean, it's very well known in Argentina that Hitler escaped to Argentina after the war. So this is like the worst-kept secret 
that Hitler lived out his days. I mean, this is like the the worst insult uh, of all. That you know, when you say things like Hitler died of natural causes, like that's right. the, that's that's like a, another an extra shiv, you know, in the back that this this well, monster got to live out his days uh, in this resort. Exactly. I mean, it's why the disinformation of the intelligence agencies, including uh, the Russians, who knew also. I mean, Stalin, remember. Stalin knew that the <clears throat> the bodies that the uh, Russian army found at the end of World War II and claimed were Hitler's were fraudulent, that the autopsies were rigged, the dental evidence was... Uh, the Russians captured Hitler's dentists and technicians and Eva Braun's, and they falsified the dental evidence and shoved them in the mouths of these corpses. I mean, it was all fake. Um, Hitler escaped, and Stalin knew it. But, you know, Stalin's intelligence agencies and ours could not let this lie be known. And so they both created disinformation and went along with this British graduate student from Oxford, Trevor Roper. And I show in the book Hunting Hitler, within a few days after Trevor Roper arrived in Germany to do his great investigation and write his book, uh, U.S. intelligence major Sachs, S-A-X-E, handed Trevor Roper a memo which was the conclusions to his book before he even investigated anything. And it was this great story about, you know, how Hitler, Eva Braun, got into the Fuhrer bunker and Hitler did a will. They said goodbye to everybody. It was very tearful and, you know, they committed suicide in the private quarters uh, with pistols and cyanide. It's all a story written for a middle-class, you know, bourgeois audience by, you know, a, a, a not very talented playwright who thought the story would sell. The truth is that, you know, when you deal with Hitler, who is a homicidal maniac, a genocidal maniac, killed 60 million people, trying to eradicate the Jewish people from Europe, um, this guy is not going to, the last days, say, I better sign a will and marry my mistress. He's, he blamed, Hitler blamed the, Ameri- the, you know, the German people for not being up to him, not coming up to his standards. I'm trying to understand he what, all this, what, what, what he was going to. He was going to live another day to see Germany rise again. Well, to, to, to what extent do you think he was successful? I mean, what was he doing down there? Was he pulling the strings behind some sort of interna- uh, you know, Nazi international overseeing business operations and so forth? Of course. The entire uh, you know, engineering of the European Union, the lie that was told you know, Jean Monnet that this was just going to be a trade agreement, the Nazis knew that, you know, okay, war did not work to put Germany at the head of a united Europe. So they'll go the stealth route by trade agreements and undermine the sovereignty of the countries to build together a European Union. And Germany today has emerged heading the EU, uh, leading the European Central Bank, running the euro. Uh, Hitler would love this position. This was, you know, the, the, the plan number two. If the Nazis could not win World War II and, and by force, rule Europe, uh, could be done by stealth and the um, convincing people that these trade agreements were in everybody's best interest, more lies, more intelligence agency concocted lies, 
where the Nazis, with all their plunder, invested around the world in, let's say, a thousand corporations that Borman owned interests with Nazi major holdings, they're still in existence today, uh, creating the World War II economic rise between the United States and Europe, and now knitting it together into a combined U.S.-E.U. with massive intelligence agencies, NSA and CIA. I mean, you know, remember the Nazis were leftists. They this whole idea was a business, you know, corporate world, corporate governance across borders with uh, the governments willingly cooperating. But Hitler was the first to introduce universal health care, as long as you had a Gestapo and NSA listening to every conversation to put away anybody who disagreed with you, uh, fascism from the left has been predominant since the beginning of time. You know, the leftists don't want to tolerate dissent, and um, the Nazi plan to dominate Europe could be achieved either through winning World War II, which the Nazis did not, or for winning the uh, post-war peace, which the uh, Nazis seem to have done pretty well at. Well, it, it's true. I mean, a lot of people forget. I mean, they were the National Socialist Party, folks. Yeah, so they, they uh, and, 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 and where did they get their racial hygiene laws and their ideas about hygienics, or from eugenics, well, rather, much, in the United States? In the United States, out of, you know, Henry Ford, uh, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Singer, who was, you know, running Planned Parenthood. Uh, the whole idea was put the Planned Parenthood centers in the African-American communities in the United States. I've written about it extensively because, you know, genetics, we have to eliminate the black race. We have to eliminate the Jews. Racial purity. This was the defense of many of the people, at, uh, many of the, the scientists uh, at Nuremberg were saying, well, we were just doing what you were doing in the United States, you know, experimenting on your own inmates and so forth. Unbelievable. Exactly. And, you know, and the, the same eugenics ideas, the same, you know, again, the intelligence agency lies that we defeated Hitler. So, you know, the genetics ideas were killed, all this. All those ideas simply went underground and took an economic form and are still today evident in the EU and the United States. We still have Planned Parenthood. We still have um, the EU. We still have the European Central Bank. President Obama is pushing now the transatlantic partnership to even knit further together U.S. corporations and their counterparts in Germany. I mean, it, the plan has not ever stopped, you know, uh, and it was funded from the beginning, before World War II, by Alan Dulles and even the Bush family progenitors, uh, through Wall Street, the rise of Hitler. We funded Hitler. That's one of the deep, dirty secrets. And what I'm pointing out in Hunting Hitler, the second deep, dirty secret, is Alan Dulles and the OSS, uh, the precursors of the CIA, we helped Hitler and the Nazis escape. And not just a few Nazis, tens of thousands of Nazis. By the time you look at the rat lines, the involvement of the Catholic Church and the Red Cross, getting these Nazi major criminals, visas to go to Argentina where they had you know, false identities and the right to get citizenship and own land. Are you, hearing, businesses. Are you hearing from veterans and, and the families of, of veterans from World War II after this book? I have, yes, and I think, you know, it's beginning to wake people up. This in my book on who really killed Kennedy, in which I also made clear Alan Dulles' 
culpability and John Kennedy's resistance to this new world order. I think we've got to go back and reevaluate. That's my whole book on who really killed Kennedy. You've got to go back and reevaluate Kennedy. Because John Kennedy understood. He gave a speech about secret societies. John Kennedy knew what was going on. He was trying to resist it. John Kennedy had lived. He would have broken up the CIA into a thousand pieces. He would have broken up the Federal Reserve, which we don't need to print our money. John Kennedy understood that these forces were trying to push us in a, you know, a direction of where the Nazis originally wanted to go. Yes, and here we are in 2014 doing this long, inexorable march towards what I call soft totalitarianism. And it really, I mean, you know, minus the brown shirts, and now they're replacing the brown shirts with Armani suits on Wall Street and no more goose stepping. It's a very sophisticated uh, form, uh, but it's, it's, it's really the same thing going on. We're just. We, we're, we're like, you know, frogs in the, in the boiling water. It's, it's slowly turning two. up the temperature. Plan A, the war for the Nazis was just too crude. Plan B, everybody lies, the intelligence agencies, CIA, KGB, everybody else covers it up. <clears throat> the presidents were put into power are so owned by the New World Order that they create free trade agreements and lie about them. It's all, you know, hush, hush, wink, wink sell that it's going to be good for the economy and it's the uh, it's the low road you know, not war but lying and the economic road to achieve the same purposes the Nazis wanted to achieve in World War II through war Well Jerry, thank you so much for spending the last uh, hour with me, congratulations on the book and um, some startling conclusions I'm sure were not pleasant for you to, uh, to have to confront No, I book I wish I did not have to write, but it's, it's, you know, again, look at the book, look at the evidence in the book, because everything I write is based on documents, based on hard evidence. found them in the archives, I found the DNA did not support the conclusion that there was any evidence Hitler had died at the end of World War II. Uh, before you dismiss these ideas, go look at the evidence. All right, Jerry, thank you so much. Okay, Richard, thank you. Jerome Corsi. Hey, you can, uh, Follow this show, richardserrett.com. All the information is there. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. Thank you for your ears. My name is Richard Serrett. This is a program that serves as a friendly reminder that even the mightiest oak tree started out as a nut. And I say that... uh, Because much of what we talk about on this program is not for everyone, quite frankly. Much of the information heard here would, in certain quarters, uh, be dismissed, ridiculed, perhaps even aggressively opposed. And repeating some of the things you hear on this show might even get you crossed off a few Christmas card lists. (laughs) Believe me, I know that firsthand. Uh, But relax, now you're among friends and like-minded individuals. Uh, Just a reminder, I'm off uh, over the next two weeks, and uh, Patrick White the founder of Conspiracy Culture here in Toronto will be sitting in next week. And the following week, the director of Z News Network, Victor Vigiani, will be in the air chair. And I know you will treat them with the utmost respect. It's like, do you remember when you were in school and you had a substitute teacher and you thought you could get away with hell, right? <laughs> Come on now. I'm warning you. I'm not, I'm not warning. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Treat them well. And because you're, good, you're going to be in good hands. These, these are... Uh, very knowledgeable, passionate 
uh, individuals. Uh, in fact, we're going to welcome Victor Vigiani onto the uh, on the program here in just a moment. Uh, just another programming note, though, and that is uh, just to remind you uh, that uh, next Friday, January 31st, I'll be uh, guest hosting Coast to Coast, sitting in for George Norrie. Uh, it's been about five years since the last time I uh, I got a call up to the Yankees, as I like to say. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I I think I mentioned this before. I, I don't look at coast to coast as competition. Uh, we're all sort of working uh, towards a similar purpose, right? And that is to wake people up, to get people to think for themselves. And uh, and really, the, uh, the the people that I have on the program as well. Many of you've have who, who listen to this program? You listen to Coast to Coast. You've heard many of the guests on this show on Coast, and um, we're just one big family trying to expose the truth. That's all. And another gentleman uh, who's no stranger to this program, and you've also heard him on Coast, uh, is has been working diligently for many years to expose the truth as it pertains to the field of study involving UFOs and uh, ETs, part of this vast UFO disclosure network. And it's always a pleasure uh, when Richard Dolan agrees to come on the program. He is among the world's leading researchers and historians of the UFO subject. He's the author of two volumes of uh, history, UFOs and the National Security State, parts one and two. If you don't have those books in your library... Uh, get on down to Conspiracy Culture. My good, fun, good friend Patrick uh, White, I'm sure, has those in stock. You really need to have those if you're going to be sort of, you know, forewarned and forearmed about what's really going on. And we're going to delve into that uh, some more tonight because Richard has another book, another must-read. This time he's taking a look at not, the, uh, not only the, the whole history of the cover-up, but he's really drilling down and analyzing the nature of the cover-up. The new book is UFOs for the 21st Century Mind. And uh, he's here along with the aforementioned Victor Vigiani, my co-pilot whenever we discuss UFOs and ETs on the program. Victor, of course, is the executive director of Zealand News Network and also has been diligently uh, working on behalf of the UFO disclosure movement as well for many, many years. First of all, let's say hello to uh, my good friend Victor. How are you, my friend? Just fine, Richard, and great to be with you again. And uh, the uh, the aforementioned, of course, Richard Dolan. Richard, you're going to be in Toronto soon. What's going on? Hi, Richard. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to be in Toronto in less than one week on uh, Thursday the 30th. Uh, for something that's really exciting. This is not a typical sit-on-your-butt UFO conference. This is a, a party for truth. That's what it's called. And uh, I'll be there. Uh, former Minister of Defense of Canada, Paul Hellyer, will be there. Uh, another really cool researcher, uh, Dan Dix, is going to be there. He, I had not known much about him, but he's a very, very interesting guy who does uh, lots of work on uh, GMOs and I think a lot of other important um, things going on in our world that I think people want to know about. Yeah, he's a fine documentary and, filmmaker, and some, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy, uh, I think. I'm looking forward to meeting him. And there's some live music. I think uh, cheap tickets at the door. I think it's 20 bucks gets you in. And it's going to be a wild time, and I'll, I'll be mingling. Um, I will have my, my new book available for the very first time in public. I'm quite excited about that. It's taken me two years to write this thing. And uh, it's more than just about the cover-up. Um, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about this book, but I, I will just say it's, it's really a new 
complete summary of the entire UFO phenomenon. This is really my attempt to, to bring a fresh approach to the entire field. I mean, when you really think about the, the study of this topic since, say, the 1950s, since it really kind of had serious people looking at it, um, it's the field really exploded only in the last 20 years or so, really with the birth of the Internet and with a lot of new opinions coming in, a lot of new ideas coming into the field. And it occurred to me that there really hasn't been a very uh, – a kind of a, a unified, comprehensive look at everything. That is the history. That is the politics. That is the science the crazy science associated with the UFO phenomenon, everything from propulsion to string theory to consciousness itself, um, as well as uh, talking about things like disclosure, which is a big issue in the field, and um, so many, many other aspects of this topic. The nature of contact itself, or alleged contact, and then the nature of how do you distinguish what is a UFO when we've got drones all over in the skies these days, and off-the-shelf technology can confuse you know, the hell out of people. And all of these other issues that are relevant for today. I talk to people who have no idea how fascinating, I mean absolutely fascinating, mind-blowing the UFO phenomenon really is because they just haven't been turned on to it. And really what I've written is a, it's like a 500-page love letter to the field of UFOs telling people why it's the most incredible mystery of our time, why it actually will transform your reality if you just give it an opportunity to, to delve into it. And it'll change your world. You've got to be brave, but it'll do it for you. And, well, there, and there's a lot of people not ready to go there. I mean, we have spent, you know, you talk about the last 50 years, and, and we have groups like MUFON, and God bless them, but they're still sort of preoccupied with sort of catalog, categorizing and cataloging exactly. reports. And, right. you know, a lot of other people say, okay, you, you had me, you know, 20 years ago. Let's take it to the next level. And there are many of those people who are not willing to go there yet, and, and you are, thank God, and, and also people like Victor Vigiani. I mean, are you still yes. getting pushback and resistance from those groups because they're, they're not ready yet and are willing uh, to take it to the next level as you have done? Well, I don't know. When I talk to people directly, I can tell you, Richard, they get turned on by this. They are into what I, what I have to say to them. I have not ever met a UFO group or any kind of even casually interested person. If I can't get them for five minutes, I'm serious. And if I can't get them hooked, then I feel there's something wrong with me. I feel like this is a topic that I have given the last 20 years of my life to. I know it as well as anyone can know it at this point, at least who's been researching it. I'm not ashamed to say it. I've dove into it, uh, and I'm as engaged by this topic as ever. So, no, I think I think what's been lacking is just um, – I, I think there's been a lot of people in some of those groups who've just been on kind of an autopilot, and they've – you know, their mode is, well, let's collect the reports and let's collect the data. And uh, I think – I think they're just ready to be woken up. And there, it's not just me. There's a lot of other people out there who are looking at this phenomenon, I think, in a, in a more contemporary way. And by that, I'm simply meaning without, um, you know, traditional sort of um, traditional political approach, tra traditional scientific approach. That is, old-fashioned ufology really didn't delve into deep, black budget conspiracy issues and it needs to it needs to because that's where a lot of the action is old-fashioned ufology did not delve into contemporary science issues like uh, quantum mechanics like string theory like consciousness studies and it needs to because that's where the action is so I think really where a lot of the new ufology moving forward into this coming century 
is going to be moving in some of those directions. In other words, a sophisticated politics, sophisticated science, so that we can actually try to make some progress on this. That's why I call it UFOs for the 21st Century Mind. Well, thank you for elevating you know, the level of, of discourse on this uh, subject. And, and uh, Victor, you jump in here at any moment, but Victor, you know what I was getting at with, with Richard. You know more than most at how fractious and divisive the UFO community is. I mean, you've lived that uh, firsthand as, as well. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of uh, – I'm almost talking like you're not in the room, Richard, or you know, in the conversation. But talk to me about the, the importance of, of, of Richard Dolan's work to the UFO disclosure movement. Well, as you said off the top of the show, um, Richard, you, you mentioned uh, uh, Richard Dolan's first two books, The National Security State, uh, one and two, both volumes. And I've always maintained that those two books, uh, probably in addition to the other ones that he's written, but those two books are – probably the seminal works um, in, in um, ufological history. Uh, the way he approached it uh, as a historian, as a teacher, uh, as someone who has a wealth of knowledge in the area, uh, those two books could, if the uh, universities in, in North America would allow it, could be the, the major components in the curriculum to, um, to uh, have a, a launch point within the universities uh, to begin this higher level of discourse about an issue in an anthropological kind of way, sociological and political way. And I think Richard's first two books, The National Security State 1 and 2, uh, would be the, the launching point for any type of uh, high-level post-secondary school um, uh, examination of the way this issue has developed. And what brought Richard to the point to catalog uh, what he did and wrote those uh, those two books in the way they did, I'm not quite sure if it was just you know divine inspiration or just hard work or, or whatever it was, but... Uh, Richard has really com- uh, completely overtaken most UFO researchers uh, in this field and brought to bear um, what, I, what I would call a fulcrum in the, in the, uh, that, that switched us over from just looking at what UFOs are as lights in the sky and tipping that balance into a really political analysis of what this thing really means and sort of um, looking at the underbelly of, uh, of society's uh, grasp at, at, and understanding of, of, of the madness and power and the collectivism and the status quo. And Richard, in both of those books, put facts out that challenged all of those issues. Go ahead, Richard. Uh, did you want to... Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> did you want to add no, anything, I, I, Victor? I, I, I'm, uh, to the I, eulogy? I, I, <laughs> no, I think the truth. Yeah, when I'm dead, you're not with me, Victor. You, you've got the keynote address. Hey, everybody wants to know what it would be like at their own funeral, so I well, just thought I'd... <laughs> But we wish you a long, happy life. Uh, Very gratified to hear that. I I just want to say – well, I I just want to say that what Victor was saying about the academic approach, when I wrote those two volumes, UFOs and the National Security State, that is exactly what I was trying to set out to do. I wanted those books to be – a solid intellectual fashion for the reality of the UFO phenomenon and the cover-up and, you know, dealing with the politics and, and also the research, but primarily the, the phenomenon and the cover-up. And I'm, I'm glad that you felt the same way, Victor. Yeah, I think it's, it's really important to make those distinctions because it's the first time it was ever done. And I, as I said uh, earlier, if you, if you wanted to look at a, at, a, at a perfect academic approach to it, those would be the first two books that you'd want. There, there's lots of other good stuff out there, too. But, I mean, the, the way you handle it, there's the, the fact after fact after fact. Uh, the, the only other book that I would think that would even rival uh, what you're talking about is Terry Hansen's book regarding the media. That would be probably my, my uh, third choice as a, as a text. I love for, Terry's work. Um, That's a great book. It's an absolutely uh, missing time. The, the yeah. missing time. Uh, yeah, the missing times. The missing times, just by Terry missing Hansen. Times. 
And I, I have read that book. Um, actually, it's, it's, I just begin the third reading of it right now. I just every time I read it, very similar to yours, Richard. Every time I read it, I get gain new insights, new, new, new fascinating points. And it doesn't just reach into the UFO issue. I mean, uh, Terry gets into th- issues like you know the American public was not told that there were over 300 ships sunk off the eastern coast by by, by German submarines. Uh, and mm-hmm. This is something that, that that no one will ever ever talk about, and that's the underbelly of the, the way the media operates and the way the government forces the media to operate. Sorry, sorry, Victor, to jump in, but I, I can't let that go past just to make sure I heard that correctly. Uh, German uh, U-boats shot down what 300 uh, UFOs? No. <laughs> No American, no, American vessels. No, no it's, uh, ships, ships. Ah, okay. okay like ships on the, on the water. All right. Otherwise, I would have had to clear the decks and talk about that <laughs> well, for the next hour. They but... shot those UFOs down. That would explain the German UFO connection. That would have to be it. <laughs> All right. Listen, we'll take a time out. And, and, and Richard, I, I, I want to uh, I want to talk a little bit more about UFOs for the 21st century mind. We don't have you for a long time tonight. We'll have you on again. Uh, and, and talk some more, but uh, we'll also get into this uh, Party for Truth, and I know you're going to yes, be doing this cross-country right. tour, uh, but I do want to yes. talk a little bit about sort of the one of the, the, the things that you get into in the new book, and that is an analysis of the cover-up, and, and I, I love to hear you, uh, because you do such a cogent job at, at, at explaining that, and uh, I'll get you to do it again on the other yeah. side here. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, Richard Dolan, Victor Vigiani, stay with us. Richard Dolan is with us. He is uh, coming to town. Uh, give us the details on that again, Richard. Yes, it's uh, Thursday, January 30th, uh, just one week from from now, uh, less than a week from now. I will be for the Party for Truth event that's in Toronto. Uh, the location is, is Lee's Palace at 529 Bloor Street West in Toronto. Uh, I think it starts at around 8 o'clock or so. It's 20 bucks to get in, and I think there's going to be a lot of wild people there. Three live bands, myself, Paul Hellier, Dan Dix, a lot of cool people talking about a lot of things. I think it's just going to be a great kind of hangout, uh, something, as I was just saying earlier, better than a boring sit-on-your-butt UFO conference. People are going to be out doing things, talking. Um, I love to do these types of events. I love to mingle. I love, I love getting younger people in particular involved in this topic. I love turning on their minds to why this is such an incredible topic. So I'm very grateful to be at this event. And then you're taking it on the road. That's right. A few months from now, not right away, but this is sort of a kickoff event. I will be doing a three-week tour of Canada along with another researcher, Michael Tellinger, very interesting guy, and a lot of local researchers along the way. We're actually doing a a tour from Halifax to Vancouver and a a lot of cities in between, 11 cities total, over a three-week period. I have never been across the entire mass of Canada before. This is my first time. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, a, l- a little bit, a little bit of trepidation. Three weeks. A lot of it's going to be in a bus. I don't know how I'm going to like that, but we will find <laughs> out. Lots of stops along the way, and uh, I, what I do look forward to, I absolutely look forward to meeting all of the people of Canada that I can. I've been up to Canada many times. I love your country. I love the people in Canada. I love talking to the Canadians about this topic and all other kinds of topics that are off the beaten path. I think a lot of Canadians are are really uh, keen and are awake to a lot of the things that are happening in this world. For those who, who, who aren't going to be able to, to see down at Lee's Palace next Thursday or, or, or aren't going to, uh, to get out to any of the, uh, the events during this three-week cross-Canada tour, uh, there, you've got a captive audience right now. Just spend a few mm-hmm. moments, if you could, just sort of setting the table in terms of what you mean by the, uh, an analysis of the, the nature of the UFO cover-up. Yeah. 
Well, when I wrote uh, my first volume of UFOs in the National Security State, that book came out initially in the year 2000. It was a year, bef year and a half before 9-11. And I recall distinctly a lot of researchers said, oh, my God, this is a crazy radical book talking about a conspiracy. And I thought, what is wrong with these people? And then comes 9-11 and the entire world becomes radicalized. And suddenly I look at the thesis of my very first volume and the thing that strikes me about it is how tame it is compared with where I think so many of us are today. Uh, because what I did back then is simply delineate that A, there's an absolutely real phenomenon of unknown craft that are penetrating sensitive airspace. We know this. This is not speculation. This is fact. We have declassified documents proving it. We know that the base commanders were concerned, and we know that they lied about it to the public. We know all of that. Um, we know that this was a secret for years and years and years, and we know that there was collaboration with major media and major academia and all of that. So when I said that uh, now 14 years ago, people were like, oh, my God, that's so radical. Um, so now we've gone a little bit further. I think now the world has grown up a little bit, right, to the fact that we've got an utterly irredeemably corrupt global political financial system. So it's really not such a big deal for me now to go say to people, oh, yeah, well, there's this cover-up on this incredible phenomenon. So I think people are a little bit more awake to it. So how does it actually work? I think that when we talk about the structure of secrecy, Right. I have to preface this by saying I'm not in the club, so they haven't really given me all of the details, but I think this is what happened. You go back to the 1940s. Pretend that you're the American president because that's really, I think, where a lot of this truly crystallized and started. Uh, you're Harry Truman, and your top advisors have informed you that not only is there this crazy phenomenon that no one can explain uh, with apparently radical technology, but that we recovered something of that, their stuff i.e. in a crash retrieval, say Roswell. And one of the things that I point out in all of my research, in particular this new book, UFOs for the 21st Century Mind, is a lot of crash retrieval evidence, quite a lot. So let's, let's just say the U.S. military recovered exotic technology. What are they going to do with it? They're certainly not going to share it with the world. They can't. They cannot share it with the world. They're trying not to share the atomic bomb with the Russians. So why would they share something as exotic as alien technology? So what happened is that of necessity, an ultra-classified ultra program was put into place. And, and it has to be ultra-classified in the sense that you can't even tell Congress about it. You can't let them know that they're funding it. So you have to create what, what we would call now a black budget. The UFO phenomenon, in other words, what I argue, is one of the creators of America's black budget culture and really the global black budget culture, which has followed in its wake. So you get this culture of secrecy. You get these brilliant scientists studying this exotic technology in secret, and they come up with ideas. They come up with innovations. And they come up, in other words, with money-making opportunities. They have no incentive now for giving up the secret. And since the structure of power has become largely privatized, it's always been privatized, for at least for the last several centuries, certainly the last century. So the real nexus of power is outside of the true political uh, system anyway. And we know this is true of the black budget system. That's, it's all privatized. So what we're talking about is this kind of quasi-public, quasi-private group of powerful people who really run the show. You know, just a week or two ago, we had the news article that came out that the top 85 wealthiest people in the world own as much money as the bottom half of the human race. 
They have as the top 85 people own as much money as the bottom three and a half billion people. So that's we're not talking about the top one percent. We're talking about the top point one point zero 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 one percent. And that's how secrecy like this works. You've got a very few people who actually control what they control things, and everything else is deeply compartmented. Um, you've got a very small group of people who are profiting from this. And they know what they want to know, and, and they go beyond nations at this point. The U.S. military is simply a police force for their use. That's it. So if they want, need the U.S. military to invade a country, to steal someone's oil or to do whatever, they do that. If they need the U.S. military to guard their precious UFO secrets, then they do that too. It sounds um, like they got it pretty locked yeah. down. Victor, jump in here, but uh, uh, I mean, uh, I get the sense. I just I'm going to say this, and then I'll let Victor jump in. But I get the sense, Richard, that you know, based on your last two books, AD after disclosure, and now this, uh, this book, UFOs for the 21st Century Mind, you're sort of preparing uh, us for the eventuality that this veil of secrecy is all about to come tumbling down imminently. It's it's we're in a battle. We we are. It's like in the fifteenth round of the toughest boxing match in history. We've got on the one side forces for kind of a global totalitarian police state, and they are moving in that direction. Everyone can feel it. Everyone can see it. Everyone can. I, I and on the other you, side, yeah. let's go on, Victor. No, I don't want to interrupt you. No, I just wanted to make a, the point of what you're saying uh, is that somehow, and and, and perhaps uh, unbeknownst to. to uh, the higher levels in the, within the media, this whole UFO issue, and as you really articulated very well over the last uh, two or three minutes, the UFO issue has, has given rise to an understanding of all of these other nefarious things that are going on. The, the police state of the of the American army and, and, and military might throughout the throughout the, the, the throughout the globe, um, uh, the oil industry, uh, the fossil, the end of fossil fuels, the the, the the corrupt nature of the economic system. The UFO issue, if people would look at it from that perspective, has allowed us to see all of the other kinds of things, the, the, the thin underbelly of what's really wrong with the planet. And I think our refocusing, uh, as what we're doing, uh, people who are in the research community, is really allowing people to focus, uh, use the UFO issue to focus as a lens on all these other nefarious issues. Well said. Well, very well said. I think that's what I was trying to say, and I think you put it very well, Victor. Um, I, I will just, uh, to finish the thought about uh, where we're headed, Richard, I think on the one hand, there's, there's definitely forces for a global totalitarianism, and we're seeing it. It's happening constantly. You know, uh, Barack Obama has been negotiating this uh, Trans-Pacific the TPP, uh, the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, or whatever it is, which is uh, the more you look at it, the more horrible it is. So there's those forces on the one side. And then on the other side is, is this wonderful thing. It's still alive. It's called the web, and it's the, it is still being used by the people. In other words, we have a global communication system where we are sharing information. We're communicating with each other every day. We've, I'm doing this with you guys on Skype. You, you know, this type of um, communication just wasn't even available a, a little more than five, six years ago. And we've got so many tools now. Uh, we're doing all kinds of file sharing, both legal and illegal. 
I think the illegal is just as important as the illegal, by the way, and it can't stop. In a, in a few years, we're going to be having 3D printing, and I'll tell you right now, 3D printing is going to revolutionize this world, and it's going to allow not just ideas to be shared, but technologies to be shared, patented uh, technologies, and probably some classified ones, too, are going to go up there. And just because it's illegal to share those doesn't mean they won't be shared. Imagine in, tw- in 15 years being able to print a new yeah. organ, you know, all part of this transhumanist movement. How, yes, and how about a new energy harvesting device that some smart person in Toronto or Kansas City or Calcutta creates and you can download and create and go off the grid? You think that won't be possible? Bet it will. What we're seeing is a battle. This is the crystallization of of the battle between the people and the elite, and it's going to happen. We're going to see it in the next 10, 15 years. The UFO mystery is part of this. It's not the only part of it, but it's a big part of it. And so where do I see this coming down? I don't know who's going to win. I don't know if, if we're going to end up, you know, as in Orwell's vision of a, of a boot squashing down the face of humanity forever. If or, we ain't there already. <laughs> well, I know. It's rough. But, but we're not down totally. We're not dead yet. People are still awake. There's still, there's still people willing to speak out. And, um, and there's still enough economic pain out there that there may be people willing to listen. So um, where this will end up, I don't know. I'm certainly never going to count freedom and humanity out. Never. Never. I mean, is there a timeline when uh, when you see this happening, uh, uh, this battle uh, to end all battles? I think a couple of a couple of technologies are accelerating this. I mean, you know, we're looking. We have things like WikiLeaks and Anonymous and these groups out there. These are a symptom of the technological developments that we've we've um, attained. I mean, in other words, WikiLeaks couldn't have happened ten years ago because we didn't have the global infrastructure to allow it. Now we have that infrastructure. Now we have it. We have Edward Snowden. We have Anonymous. We have things like that. So let's look at the next ten years, the next twenty years. Within the next twenty years. We are very possibly getting to a, a place where computers will have enough native artificial intelligence that they may pass what's called the Turing test. They may actually seem conscious, whether they are or not, who knows. But they're, they're going to be intelligent. We get to that point. Some, some have called it uh, the singularity. That could be a real game changer right there. And even before we get to that, we, there, there are going to be new technologies coming online that – may very well challenge the secrecy, like 3D printing, like uh, new developments to smartphones. Who know? I can't even imagine them all. So I would say within 20 years, we're going to see a major transformation. It could be 10 years. It could be tomorrow. But I would say conservatively, uh, 20 years, we're going to see a major transformation in the whole UFO reality, what we know. And that's going to cause a huge revolution, um, a real revolution. In other words, political, economic because you know you can't just come out there as as the prime minister or as the president and say uh yeah apparently this is real folks um you know and i'm guessing it's not going and i'm guessing it's not going to happen that way disclosure is not going to be a, a white house press conference it will only be forced it'll only be when when they're pressed to the wall and they must because something's happened. Either something's leaked or an event happens that's recorded. You can't deny it. And then they will do it. And then they'll lie. They'll continue to lie about it. But at least it'll be out on the table for people to talk about. And that'll be the difference. Victor, what do you They'll think? It's, entire world. Victor, what do you think is going to push it over the edge? Well, I, I think the whole idea of, of once this critical mass of an idea becomes, as, as Richard is talking about, um, so compelling that um, it, it will have to come out. It, when an idea of this, of this quality, of this nature, 
of this uh, transcendental nature um, uh, comes about. And when one half of the world is capable of talking to the other half of the world in a split second, in a nanosecond, uh, when I I taught school, that was one of the things I was talking to children about. One day it's going to happen that one half of the world will be able to talk to the other half of the world in an instant. And it's happened. And, and really, it happened in the blink of an eye. Then the next leap is going to be when the ETs, whoever these beings are, and whatever they are, I'm not just saying who and whatever they are, uh, but wherever they're from, be they time travel, once the ETs and once the idea of their presence becomes um, known as the conduit to the cosmos, and that's what's going to happen. Once the realization that these things are real and that the ETs are, 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 are who, they, who they say they are and, in fact, who they are, and we understand that they are the conduit for us to the rest of the cosmos, it will, com- it will change the world in ways we won't even be able to understand. All right, to be continued. And um, yeah. next uh, Thursday, Jan 30th, at Lee's Palace here in Toronto is a great place to start where Richard Dolan and uh, the, the Right Honourable Paul Hellyer will be in attendance uh, talking about much of what you've heard tonight. Richard, always a pleasure. Thank you, and we'll do this again soon and longer. Loved it, Richard. And uh, Victor, nice talking with you as well tonight. Great stuff, guys. Thanks a lot. Victor, Richard, thank you. Thank you. All right. When we come back, torture from above. You'll learn all from a medical doctor in San Antonio, Texas, as we discuss electronic harassment. Stay with us. And season three of the uh, Conspiracy Show television program uh, will be on the air at some point in 2014, I, and uh, there will be an announcement at some point. It's imminent uh, you know, when you'll be able to watch uh, brand new episodes of the Conspiracy Show across Canada on Vision TV. And of course, uh, in the interim, seasons one and two uh, are airing quite frequently on Vision, and I don't get a chance to, to, to watch them, nor do I necessarily want to look at my, my mug <laughs> or listen to my voice uh, constantly, so I don't often see the repeats. But the way I know which episode is airing is I'll get, I'll receive, uh, or in some cases inundated with emails uh, asking me about, you know, how this episode came together or they want more information or people are sharing their personal experiences. And uh, a perfect example of this is I always know when an episode we did in season two on electronic harassment is airing because I think that more than any other episodes garners more uh, email and feedback than any of the uh, dozens of episodes we've done. And uh, again, just recently, the electronic harassment episode aired because I received probably about three dozen uh, emails in the course of an evening uh, talking about this. And many of those emails were people sharing their personal experiences. And again, these are from what I would consider, you know, highly respectable, respected uh, professional people. I mentioned uh, several months ago, got an email from an an emergency room doctor uh, who's getting ready to to retire. And then she said in the email, all of these strange things started happening to her, hearing uh, uh, voices in her head, you know, telling her to harm herself or, um, you know, to to do things she wouldn't normally ordinarily think of doing. Uh, and now she says, my life is upside down. How am I going to re- enjoy my retirement? My, you know, I, I have constant sleep disruption and, and all of these symptoms that I've, I've heard, this common denominator from, from people time and time again. And uh, I thought it was time that we, we talk about electronic harassment again on the radio. It's been a while. Uh, and recently, um, I happened to, uh, to meet a gentleman, and I don't know how after, you know, a dozen years doing this show, 
our paths have never crossed, and I've never had this gentleman on the air, but it's time to rectify it. Uh, he, too, is a, a medical doctor uh, who hails from San Antonio, Texas, and he knows about, all about uh, electronic harassment uh, firsthand, really. This has touched his life in a very, very uh, personal uh, way, and in fact, it's, it's all documented in his book, New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America, and we're about to learn how satellite technology is involved in this electronic torture and harassment and surveillance. Uh, this was a, an eye-opener for me because I'd always been led to believe that a lot of the technology these perps are, uh, are using, and whoever these perps are, we're not sure, but I always was led to believe that, it's, that their, their technology is ground-based, whether we're talking about some handheld you know, microwave uh, technology being held up to a, you know, an apartment wall. Not so says Dr. John Hall. And uh, we just have a few moments with him, but I, I, I wanted to, uh, to make his acquaintance again live on the air and, and, and just f- spend a few moments talking about what is becoming increasingly a very, very important uh, topic. And more people are waking up to this fact that electronic harassment is real. It's going on. And um, who knows, you know, you could be affected by it next. Dr. John Hall, that being said, welcome aboard. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Finally. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me. How are you tonight? Uh, very well. And uh, as I say, I, I'm not sure why we've, uh, we've not talked before, but we're going we're gonna to rectify that tonight. Uh, I mentioned uh, Dr. Hall, you're a medical doctor. How did you first learn about uh, electron- the reality of electronic harassment? Well, I mean, honestly, I knew a little bit about it from some contacts within government circles that I have. Um, it never really saw it as far as a problem with exposure on the general public non-consensually until I uh, had a girl here in San Antonio um, that was complaining about stalking initially um, came to me um, as a friend not necessarily her physician um, as well as several other women in San Antonio uh, came to me voicing these really odd complaints of hearing voices uh, being followed by you know organized groups of stalkers that uh, were unknown to her. These weren't scorned loved ones, or you know, no reason that she would be under any type of you know police surveillance or anything. Uh, and break-ins, and I decided to you know kind of take her up on it. I've, I've known this woman for a while. I knew she didn't have a drug problem, uh, didn't have any any known mental illness uh, that I knew of. I'd known her a long time. So I gave her the benefit of the doubt, and you know I said, you know what? Well, let's do some counter surveillance. Um, you know, this you know, not typically what you would get from coming to your physician, I guess. But um, we um, started doing some counter surveillance with her. Uh, put um, digital voice-activated audio recorders in her condo, um, and sure enough, uh, people were breaking into her condo. People were following her everywhere she went. Uh, we tracked the plate numbers down. They came back to a um, former FBI fraud investigator now running a private investigative service in the San Antonio area um, that hired nothing but his relatives to work for him. Uh, and I had heard of this individual before in professional circles, uh, was told that he was the go-to guy <clears throat> if you wanted to harass your competitors. Uh, and, and medicine in San Antonio has become somewhat of, of an organized crime um, type situation here. It's so competitive um, that that often does happen. 
So the perps in some cases, I mean, we, we tend to think in terms of some shadowy government agency and, and, and they may be involved at some level. But in many instances, this technology or these tactics are being utilized uh, by, as you say, uh, you know, some, someone who's simply interested in running the competition out of whatever business it is. Or it could be a neighbor that wants you out of their low rent uh, or, or rent controlled apartment building. That's exactly right, and and I have met with a lot of victims who are actually are being targeted by their homeowners associations. Um, but at it, the at the base of it, the technology is still relatively classified and has to come from a government source. And if you look at any of the mind control or mind manipulation uh, programs from the past, MK Ultra, uh, and a number of any other of the programs that were under MK Ultra. Uh, typically, the government didn't do the research or do the experimentation directly itself. It was usually done through a front company or guised uh, as legitimate research through a university. And that's also what we're seeing today with electronic harassment. You know, like the people we identified here is a private investigative service. Of course, it's ran by a former FBI guy. Access to the technology is not something that that you or I could usually directly come by. All right, let me jump in here. Uh, Dr. John Hall, author of A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America. We'll find out what satellites have to do with electronic harassment when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. I think most of us by now uh, are, are waking up to the fact that we are living, you know, in the age of surveillance and, of course, all of these... Uh, uh, revelations uh, regarding the National Security Agency, and uh, now we're learning things about, you know, all our our, our computer routers, our internet routers have have these back doors, and internet providers have these secret handshakes with the intelligence gatherers to allow them, you know, key loggers and uh, web cameras now that uh, activate when you don't don't even think your computer's turned on, Uh, your cell phone can be activated. Uh, Then we had, of course, the case of uh, uh, you know the Washington naval shooter, and and, and on his uh, on the uh, the weapon, he uh, I believe it was inscribed my ELF friend, electro um, the electromagnetic or extremely low frequency ELF extremely low frequency. This is apparently one of the the uh, the tactics that are used for for mind control and electronic harassment. We had the case of uh, Miriam Carey, this this um, this woman who was gunned down by the Washington uh, police, unarmed. Um, who were told had some sort of underlying mental health condition, although there were reports that she said she was also hearing uh, voices. Now, one might easily dismiss that as, again, schizophrenia or or um, something, but you start to connect the dots and you start to realize there is something going on. You hear from reputable, professional people that this is happening to them, and it makes you wonder. Dr. John Hall is with us, the author of A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America. Uh, so uh, educate me here, Dr. Hall. Again, I, I'm thinking a lot of this stuff is basically ground-based, you know, uh, 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 weaponry or, or, or uh, gadgetry, something that you could, you know, take a microwave oven, tear off the door, um, adapt it somehow, and all of a sudden, you know, you can give your, your neighbor um, uh some sort of you know biological effect or disorder, sleep disruption, etc. But you're saying it's 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 gone way beyond that. Oh yeah, I mean, and I've seen the <clears throat> the same website where you've seen that picture, and certainly that can be done. You can certainly develop a weapon that way. It wouldn't be very specific. Uh, you wouldn't be able to target an individual very well without being able to see them in the room. I mean, you could certainly target the side of the home and, and hope the occupants are in that room you're targeting. 
Um, but yeah, when after I chronicled uh, the story of this girl in San Antonio and my book got released, I was almost immediately bombarded with thousands of emails a day uh, from victims that um, were experiencing the exact same thing. Um, coming from a medical perspective, you know, it, I'm not saying mental illness doesn't exist or schizophrenia doesn't exist or delusional do- disorder doesn't exist. Certainly it, it does. But when all of a sudden you see, you know, we estimate 300,000 people all voicing identical complaints, identical complaints about the stalking, identical complaints about initially having tinnitus or ringing in the ears, uh, magnetophosphines, which are basically flashing lights that you see with your eyes closed when you're trying to go to sleep, uh, which is the same thing we see when you're in an MRI when your optic nerves are being bombarded uh, with electromagnetic energy. Uh, it's a it's a symptom of being bombarded by electromagnetic energy, as well as the hearing voices and the you know, central nervous system manipulations. You know, coming from a medical perspective, I have to look at that and say, you know, is this experimentation? It appears to be um, being done uh, with a manual. You know, there's a definitely a methodology about the way it's being done. And then if you look at some of the releases that Snowden's had, you know, about some of the ways they're actually scanning our computers and scanning our phones with continuous wave radar, activating a chip that's placed in the computer that transmits the data off of your screen up to eight miles away, then it's not too far of a jump to see that this can be used on the brain as well. And a lot of these victims would come to me uh, thinking the same thing, that it was ground-based equipment based on videos or reports they had seen about the LIDA machine out of Russia um, from the late 70s. And um, we've taken some of these victims out to desolate ranches where there's no cell phone signals, there's no electrical power lines. They still hear voices, they still get attacked. We've had them on boats in the Gulf of Mexico. They still hear voices, they still get attacked. We've had them three stories underground um, in bunkers that were actually built during the Cold War uh, to prevent bombings. And they still hear voices, and they still get attacked. You mentioned the voice, um, the voices in, in the head, and and, and and people can go online and and, and see for themselves. I mean, these, there there are patents uh, for voice to skull technology, and it's not just a patent and a number. I mean, these have been demonstrated, and on the uh, the U.S. Army website, there was uh, information about this. I believe they call it V2K or voice to skull uh, technology. This stuff is real, folks. Oh, yeah, and if you look at the Army actually came out with a, a document called the uh, um, Addendum to the Bioeffects of Non-Lethal Weapons, and they describe to a T the microwave auditory effect. They don't call it V2K, but they do call it the microwave auditory effect, or MAE, uh, and they go on to say its value, uh, which it does have a value. It's not necessarily an evil technology. It's, it's being used for evil mostly right now, but... They talk about the value in using this during a hostage crisis where you can communicate with the hostages without the hostage taker hearing. And they go on in this document to talk about um, using it on enemy combatants uh, and imagine the disorientation they'll have when they begin to hear voices in their head. Uh, and they do go on to say that it can't be recorded uh, even with a microphone placed in the inner ear um, of the recipient. Where do the, where do the uh, satellites uh, come in now, uh, Doctor Hall? I mean, how are satellites, which are you know minimum what two hundred miles up into the uh, um, atmosphere or out, out in space? How did how how do the satellites come into this picture? Well, actually, once we saw that these victims were hearing this and being attacked, whether they got on a plane, um, I even had one victim that. 
uh, is financially well off that actually you know flew from Texas to Mexico to Cuba to South America. He thought if he got into Cuba in a communist country that maybe this would stop and was attacked and hearing the voices the whole way on the plane. I've got a physician here that experienced the same thing. You know, there's not many technologies that can track you literally everywhere you go other than satellite. So I called in a favor to a friend of mine that's actually with the CIA uh, and ran this by him and, you know, and said, you know, this is what we're dealing with. Uh, what can you tell me uh, without getting yourself in trouble? And he did verify that we do have directed energy weapons platforms uh, on satellite platforms. Um, now, he didn't necessarily verify the fact that they could communicate voices that way, but he definitely did verify the fact that we have directed energy weapons systems on satellite, which is the other thing that these victims are experiencing. It's not strictly just hearing voices and trying to manipulate them subliminally. Um, it's a lot of times these victims are being zapped uh, with direct forms of directed energy, whether it's microwave or millimeter wave, um, burns on the skin, burns in the eyes, burns on the genitals, while all along someone is telling them they're doing it in their head. So, and, and like you said, most of these victims are well-educated, professional people. A lot of the victims I've dealt with have been doctors, have been lawyers, have been whistleblowers with the National Geospatial Agency or the NSA itself. Uh, do they, uh, we use the, the term they, whoever these perps are, uh, and that's, you know, an entirely different show, I suppose, but do they deliberately choose individuals uh, that are easily discredited because of an already pre-existing condition, whether it's um, uh, some sort of a mental disorder or perhaps even an, an addiction? It would appear that way, and if you look at the uh, MK Ultra studies, it was always done that way. Uh, in this country, there's really no laws against experimenting on the public, believe it or not. And, um, you know, if we look in the past, we've, well over at school, we've experimented on, on mentally ill children, we've experimented on prisoners that are incarcerated, we've, MK Ultra targeted women with postpartum depression, targeted men that were using prostitutes. Uh, as well as GIs. So, um, you know, there, some of it appears to be random, and some of it appears, at least with whistleblowers, to be very specific. For the random cases, uh, those people have no clue. They have no, you know, they didn't, they, they never worked for a defense contractor. They've never, you know, uh, not, they're not whistleblowers. What's going on here? You use the term experimentation. So someone's just messing with them because they can, and they want to learn what? Well, I mean, in, now I'm just extrapolating this because certainly I don't have access to any of the classified documents of it. But it would appear to me when you see that random of a selection, and it is a random selection when the numbers are all crunched, because we've done studies through freedom uh, from covert surveillance and harassment and questionnaires, um, that it appears like a random sample and that possibly, you know, as conspiratorial as this sounds, that, you know, they're doing long-term studies to see how effective this will be to use to control a global population. You know, from a medical point of view, uh, shooting that kind of electromagnetic energy at someone for you know possibly a decade at a time, you would want to know if there's any weird tumors that are going to arise, any weird blood disorders that are going to arise, um, because those are the things that are going to cue people off that possibly they're under exposure. So um, that would be my guess. Um, there's not much other reason to do long-term studies other than 
to find out those types of things. And a lot of these victims have been victimized for 10 years or greater. That's the truth. I mean, I, I've heard some harrowing tales. I know you have, but I've heard some, uh, you know, cases where people have been uh, harassed essentially for for decades, 30 years in some cases, and how these people are able to hold it together uh, after being essentially tortured. Imagine, tortured for 30 years. Uh, just a testament to their inner strength, really. I mean, what what can you do for these people? Well, I mean, there's some coping mechanisms, and, you know, from some of the studies and that we've done, uh, we have found some ways to not necessarily defeat the technology, but at least deal with the technology. Uh, luckily, I was able to talk to some of the people doing research with directed energy at, at Brook City Base uh, early on, or at least early on before the book came out, <laughs> um, but um, and got some pointers from them on some of the things they use um, to help uh, the body heal after uh, chronic exposure to electromagnetic magnetic fields. Uh, which are basically very strong antioxidants because as it turns out when your body is bombarded with electromagnetic radiation for long periods of time you release a lot of free radicals and free radicals in the body cause premature aging can cause cataracts can cause blood dysgrasias um, damage the immune system uh, open the door for various cancers so one of the things we do is um, get them on the right supplementation to at least help defend against the directed energy attack. And um, some of the research has shown, um, and from some of the whistleblowers that have worked on the research, has shown that most of this is being done by targeting the EEG of the brain. Uh, and there are methods to actually alter the EEG and lessen the ability for them to target. Literally contact. hacking into our brains. They're literally hacking into our brains. Yeah, literally hacking into your brains. And if you look at the... Um, and some of the early research um, out of Russia that eventually came here with the LIDA machine, which I, you know, when I know when we talked, you know, before, you know, you had mentioned that, and that's a that's a, a term I haven't heard in a long time. That's really old technology, but um, you know, the LIDA machine was essentially an elk wave uh, generator you know, that was controllable, and they could actually uh, cause hallucinations and to some extent pass data through the light of machine into people's brains and make them hear voices or see hallucinations or have audio hallucinations, which is exactly what we're still seeing, but just on a larger scale. Um, and with obviously not being done, at least nothing that's handheld anywhere close to these people. Well, listen, we, um, we sadly, we're out of time, but uh, I'm glad we met, and I want to get you back on uh, for a much longer uh, a period. We'll do that in the near future, and uh, we'll also, uh, there are so many people out there who need, you know, your experience and your sage advice to talk about what's happening to them. I mean, I'm getting the emails, and I can only do so much for them. I can basically talk about it on the air and let them know they're not alone. But if you'd be good enough to come back on soon, and uh, we'll open up the lines and, and, and let the, uh, the people that are being subjected to this electronic torture uh, speak to you directly, that would be a, a huge benefit to my audience. Oh, that would be great, Richard. Anytime, I'll, I'll be glad to join you. All right. Uh, well, until then, Dr. John Hall, again, author of A New Breed, Satellite Terrorism in America. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. All right. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for your uh, capable production, as always. Next week, Patrick White sitting in the, uh, the air chair. And then the following week, Victor Vigiani. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. Coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.